Cast. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the Starfleet Leadership Academy. Leadership development told through the lens of Star Trek. Your host, Jeff Aiken, is a 20-year veteran of the public and private sectors in management and leadership. He specializes in helping people unlock their true potential and is a huge Star Trek fan. And now, here's your host, Jeff Aiken. Welcome. Thanks for joining me today. I have a special episode for you. I was interviewed by Julie Kratz on the Diversity Pivot podcast. This was a really exciting interview for me, and well, I want to share some of it with you. Julie is the Chief Engagement Officer at The Next Pivot Point. She's an author, a TEDx speaker, and an incredible example of allyship and leadership. Welcome, listeners. We have with us today Jeff Aiken, and he is the host of the Starfleet Leadership Academy podcast. Yes, it is a podcast focused on Star Trek, which we will dig into in this episode. Um, And he's also a 20-year veteran of public and private sectors. He has extensive experience in both media and entertainment, as well as over two decades in management and leadership. Jeff specializes in listening to others, helping them unleash their true potential and giving feedback that is authentic yet kind. This pro wrestling TV broadcaster turned executive leader is never afraid to get his hands dirty when it comes to improving lives. Oh my gosh, Jeff, welcome to the show. Thanks, Julie. It's so exciting to be here. What a winding road I took to get here, right? <laughs> I wasn't expecting the next words to come out of my mouth. It's like pro wrestler broadcaster. Yeah. Well, you know, I lot. think I, owning owning who I am and my privilege up front, right? I'm a heterosexual, cisgendered, white male in an executive position, right? So like I'm all the things. Own it. But when I was a kid, all I wanted to do was be like Hulk Hogan, right? I wanted to be that superstar in the ring, the comic book hero. And I, I never I never got to do that, which in hindsight's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> but I but I did get to be a part of a really, really exciting industry. And uh, because of that, it taught me a lot of stuff about like talking into a microphone and, and uh, being trying to be at least a little entertaining. Yeah, well, I appreciate you owning your privilege is a part of your story. I also, having gotten to know you, know you're really passionate about DEI. And for our listeners, we're always interested in having folks like in the trenches that are doing this work. And I know in your day job, you've actually had the chance to really improve folks' lives and, and, and increase the diversity of your team. Tell our listeners what, what you're working on. Oh, my, so I'm, this is, this is my, my thing, right? I, 
I work in the public sector right now. I'm an executive manager for a state uh, state agency, the largest state agency where, where I'm from. And what's ironic in that is we serve people with dis- disabilities and specifically people with intellectual and developmental disabilities, but we don't really hire them, right? Like we're happy to give them some money here, you know, go kind of do what you want to do, but, you know, working here, that might be a different story. And when I took the position I'm in now, they had hired um, a few people with intellectual disabilities, which I thought was great on paper. And then I walked into the office and saw what was really happening. And it wasn't great. Um, This team was segregated from everyone else. They took different breaks. They had their lunches at a different time and they worked in a different part of the building. It was... um, immediately disgusting and heartbreaking, right? Like, like I meet these incredible people and then I find out that they're treated like second-class people at best, right? And so like in that second, like I remember the moment, I remember where I was sitting. I remember like how I was related to me. I'm like, I am here. I exist to change this. How did you approach the situation, Jeff? So I... I guess really to kind of set the context, I believe in what I call the Peter Parker principle of privilege. (laughs) It's a lot of P's, but it's that with great privilege comes great responsibility. And I own my privilege. I understand that it lets me do and say things that others can't. And that's where I don't always necessarily even think of myself as an ally. I try to think of myself as an accomplice, right? Where I'm just, so the way I approach this is I first started talking to the leadership in this organization, just asking what, what, what is going on? <laughs> like, what is happening here? I had to understand like what the, you know, what was the game I was kind of playing? What are the, what's the backstory? What's the, what are the rules, you know, in this? And so step number one, after I understood that is I said, okay, so what you're telling me is there's no business reason that, this group of people sit in this other part of the building. And they're like, no, no, but it's just, that's just where we put them. I'm like, okay, that changes tomorrow. We are putting them on, you know, general population out with everybody else where the cubes are, what cubes do we have available? How can we get, you know, people placed? And some of the, you know, we ran into a couple of barriers because some of the, the people had job coaches or behavioral supports that would come as part of the stuff. So we had to make sure that they had enough room for more people, but we did immediately. Like it was just like, Oh, this cube's not quite big enough. Cool. Well, this one over here is, Oh, that's actually a manager cube. Cool. Well, it's going to be Joe's cube now. Like that's what we're doing. And so we put that into place. What I loved about that approach was not only did we like create a stronger team and, and bring these people together with everyone else, but we improved the processes for everyone. So not only was it like, oh, now I know this other person. It was my job is easier because I know this person in there. And so we gave them a, we gave everyone like a series of wins right out of the gate. Well, I love what that story highlights is a lot of times when we make the workplace better for all people, <laughs> yeah. right? It works better for all people. For and everyone. Yeah. Great example because I think it's the, the curb effect. It's pretty well known in the disabilities world of, you know, once we've carved out the curbs, right, for folks yeah. in wheelchairs and those that had physical disabilities to move more easily, it got a heck of a lot easier for people like me with strollers or people at a bike. And yeah. so this whole idea of it truly does elevate 
the workplace for everyone and makes it better, more inclusive, yeah. more productive, more innovation absolutely bears out in the data as well. What have you seen as far as like the results of intentionally focused and, and you're not just focused on disabilities, but folks with intellectual disabilities yes. as well. Yeah. And so really all, all disabilities, but really, like you said, laser focus on intellectual developmental disabilities, I think, and, and hidden, hidden disabilities, you know, I think that's a uh, most um, disabilities tend to be hidden. Um, but I think it's an area that we just have so so much room to to grow and enrich. So what it, what has happened is at first, right? So we we just kind of got those initial process bumps, you know, or whatever, where it's like, oh, okay, we have process improvements, things are better. You notice a couple smiles, you know, on the on the floor you hadn't noticed before, and those are great, right? But it's also not not the end all. The end all started coming when because we'd created these relationships because the people with intellectual developmental disabilities were able to see the pre-existing staff as like contributors to the work and vice versa on that whole thing. They started collaborating together and what that's resulted in, this is fast forwarding a couple of years, but it really only took about, I don't know, six or seven months for some of this stuff to really start clicking. But all of a sudden, I've got uh, the, the chair of our fund committee is a person with an intellectual disability. The person co-chairing our lean committee who takes process improvement pieces is a person with an intellectual disability. I have one, like my huge success story that I love telling her story. Uh, and I only tell bits of it because it's her story to tell. I don't want to own all of it, but she came to us to open mail. It's her first job she'd ever had. Uh, she uh, went, she had gotten a bachelor's degree in, in something when she was at home, just collecting, you know, a check from stuff. So she did online school and earned a degree, came to us to open mail, came to me, told me that she was bored out of her mind. So we started developing, you know, interview skills, resume writing, those things, working with her on it. She's promoted four times since then. And she just, oh, I guess now it's been almost a year, but she got accepted into a master's program uh, and is working on, on her on her graduate degree. And I think, so for an individual, those are some of the payoffs, but also for us as an organization, we just, we have such a richer culture where people take time to talk to each other, connect with each other, appreciate each other. And I think if you want to talk about like hard metrics, right? What's my bottom line look like? Blah, blah, blah. I have some of the most loyal workers across the board, regardless of their level of disability, because it's we've created an objectively visible environment where we're actively being welcoming to people. You know, we're, we're addressing those outliers in real time and people are okay with that. So as, as a whole, what's the outcome? We have almost zero turnover. We have people doing amazing work and enjoying their jobs and having real human connections with people across all dimensions of diversity. That's cool. That's really cool. And and I can tell you're walking the walk and not just talking the talk. Like it's it's very much evidence in, in what you're sharing in that story. Wow. Like think about how someone was overlooked like their yeah. whole life. A whole life. Yeah. I, I one of the one of the one of the the, the people that works for me, I, I I tend to call him a kid because he was when he started working for us, but he's a grown man. And he shared with me a letter that he wrote to the Social Security Administration about uh, about well, just before that we started responding to the pandemic, so about two and a half years ago, I guess. But he wrote a letter 
where he said, thank you for supporting me through my whole life. I don't need your support anymore. I have a job that provides me with paycheck and dignity. dignity. Yeah. And at that moment, and and that's become my thing. Like I get to talk about this in different venues because I'm, I'm so passionate about it, but I think it just hits a thing that it rings true for most, most people in the workplace, assuming basic needs are met, right? That that paycheck, it's great. It's not the point. It's the dignity that we get for being a contributing member of society. And it might feel good, right? We can pat ourselves on the back or whatever that, yeah, we, we send disability checks to people and they can live, they can go do things. But, but in my experience, that's, that's just, I don't know, go sit at home, right? Go sit somewhere and don't let the world see you where I'm just like, no, seriously, come here. I want you. You can do amazing things. Let's let's help you do those awesome things. That's cool. And it makes your your culture better. Like you had a culture before where people are being othered and not eating lunch together and not sharing a human experience. I mean, you, you could see how a lot of workplaces like that didn't survive COVID. Yeah. Right. Cause they had this false sense of security and, weren't inclusive and people didn't feel things like dignity and respect their core human needs. Come to Quark's Crushes Fun. Come right now. Go Quark. Run. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I do carry a select line of unique artifacts and gemstones indigenous to this region. I read an HBR article recently that suggested that with a great resignation or renewal or whatever we're calling something, <laughs> that it's it's really the employee-driven organizations that are surviving. And when you said yeah. that zero attrition, you know, you're not losing people. The people that are losing people. <laughs> Or employer driven, like want yeah. to hold on to that power and that authority, and you will be here or else. They're just not going to weather the storm. Yeah, and it's and I think too, you know, for us because we were employee driven, because and we've even stated this, we've put it in writing that our priority is our people, and the work that we produce is a side effect of focusing on our people. Jeff, um, I did want to shift gears, so listeners, if you picked up in the beginning of his. <laughs> Bio. Jeff also hosts a podcast about, of all things, Star Trek, which I found fascinating. And this is how we got connected several months ago when I found your podcast. Like, hmm, I wonder if he ever talks about diversity. <laughs> Very intriguing conversation. And guess what? I was pleasantly surprised on a show that's been around as long as Star Trek that they've been a bit of a beacon of diversity. So, I'd love to shift gears and focus on the fun stuff that I know you like to talk about and tell us about the intersections of Star Trek and diversity. But Star Trek, you know, it first aired in 1966. And like, you know, I talked about Julie, you really, you have to put yourself in that time and that time is before me. Right. So I kind of, you know, know things from learning, but the world in 66 wasn't the world we're living in now. But the world we're living in now, in a lot of ways, is the result of what happened in 1966. So this was a show that was put on the air 
for the specific reason to paint a picture of a better future that's possible for all of humanity. And Gene Roddenberry, who created the show, did so by making a lot of really intentional and really controversial choices. Some of those were, he made sure, so the bridge, that's where all the action happens there. It's where the TV show is focused. But when you look at the bridge, you're going to, yeah, you're going to see a white man in power kind of running things, but you're also going to see an, a, a man that's Asian up there taking care of stuff. You're going to see a man who's a Russian who in 1966 for there to be a Russian on there, that's a big deal. You're going to see a woman of color on that bridge, like being a part of the action. She's not serving coffee. She's not, you know, like a security guard or something. She's running operations on there. And in 1966, whoa, this didn't happen. And they never stopped pushing the needle, right? So, some of the episodes are kind of very on the nose, right? So there was a really famous episode where they ran into some aliens who were half black and half white with like stage makeup they were painted with. And so I, I say that half black, half white, you have an image that pops in your head, right? So hold on to that image. The problem with this alien race was one half, the ones that were black on the right side, hated the ones that were black on the left side because they were clearly inferior to them. And this was millennia, right, of oppression and race wars. And so very on-the-nose analogy, but also super accurate, right? And and the deeper message there, I'm going to think about Dave Chappelle and some of the stuff he does with comedy to show, like, you're hating yourself. Yes. (laughs) This is a part of you, too. Like, how can you be so hypocritical? But sometimes through story, right? Through characters, especially abstract characters. Yeah. Star Trek has an alien, right? It's, It's easier to, like, put that on something else that's something that's not human or somebody just like me, even though the theme is very much. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I, I think about it like uh, it's like, it's like gorilla and doc, you know, it's like, we're going to sneak this in underneath. Oh yeah. It's a fun sci-fi story. Oh, neat. Whatever. Hmm. I wonder if there's a takeaway for me. In <laughs> but like in fast forward a couple of years with Star Trek, they on television had the very first interracial kiss ever. Captain Kirk kissed Uhura but there's a couple things with it. Like you said, you got to do it in a sci-fi context. So they were being compelled to do so by a greater power, but they did it. And what's amazing about that moment was the network didn't want it to happen. Um, the broadcasters, the syndication were like, we won't air this or whatever. So William Shatner went out of his way to give him one good take where they kind of, or they kissed and then mess every other take up. So they couldn't use it. But to this day, there are countries that will not air that episode. It wasn't until just a few, maybe 15, 20 years ago that certain states would air that episode. Wow. Yeah, it was like, whoa, and almost cost the show. But they took that risk. Sometimes being the first, you pay the consequences yeah. for, the, the, for the benefits you don't even get to appreciate yourself. Yeah. Right? It's the next generation that often appreciates it. I could also see how sci-fi is, is also the exact realm where we could push the limits. You're already pushing enough limits. Yeah. It's so futuristic. Why not just like- Why said, not go? Dig another layer or two of that onion. And the early, early 1990s in Star Trek, the next generation, they explored uh, races that had more than one gender 
Mm. You know, so we hadn't even hadn't even scratched the surface of gender identification and they're tackling it head on. Well, we hadn't. I mean, we had a long time well, ago, but yeah. we'd gone to the polarization we, of gender. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, as a society in the 1990s, like, yeah, you're boy, girl, male or female. Like, there's no in between. It's yeah. binary. We now know that wasn't always true in our civilization. But again, a great example of Star Trek, you know, elevating these issues with the times yeah. or ahead of their time. Ahead. And I think like really apply where, where I get really excited about it. One, just as a person who wants to be a part of making the world a better place for everybody is a fun way to see that and watch it. But as a leader who's actively out managing, creating systems and pipelines for people to be hired, for me to have something to look at where I'm like, there's the model. That's what it can look like. And here are the benefits of that. Like they do a really great job on the show of bringing people together, diverse groups of people, you know, diversity levels we can't even imagine because they're intergalactic, you know, but problem solving things and just getting those perspectives from, uh, you know, different, different species and different races and different abilities. And so I, I get to see that, you know, and, and what it looks like where kind of my, my flavor comes in is then I adapt that to say, here's how I'm going to put it in action. And here's how you can put it in action too. That's cool. That's cool. Oh, it's really important that we meet people where they're at with diversity and find stories and tools and and make it fun for folks to engage in this conversation. Yeah. It really don't have to. Julie, that's I think that is the key. It's all of the great things about leadership management, about being a person, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion, welcoming environments. We have done a really good job as as a species <laughs> and making them so dry and boring and inaccessible right i feel i feel like there's this level of gatekeeping that happens really around leadership development where i'm going to put forward a face of being inclusive i'm also a white dude wearing a tie and a jacket and talking about the 34 irrefutable laws you must we don't oh my gosh seriously but star trek shows us and then what i try and adapt is no man that can be so fun it can be a blast it also I'll say it can be easy. It's it's going to be challenging, but really the things you have to do require what you talked about, just that courage and vision to be like, well, it's kind of a whole reason I started the Starfleet Leadership Academy podcast was a bad meeting that I had. And I was like, I want meetings like Captain Kirk has meetings. You know, that's what I want. And then found out you can, you can actually do that, you know, but I think it's also, I want a workplace like Captain Picard's workplace. I want, I want teams like Captain Burnham and what she puts together. You know, you can, there are these examples there that are entertaining, uh, relatable, and fun that I think makes all of this better for people. That's cool. What a, what two seemingly different things that you've brought together. I mean, that's kind of the definition of paradox. (laughs) My new joke. I just came up with this a little while ago, but I like to say that one day I was walking towards a mirror and I was holding a can of Star Trek. And in the mirror, I was holding a can of leadership. And then when I crashed, Reese's peanut butter cup was, I mean, the Starfleet Leadership Academy was created. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. It just mixes it right up together. Thanks, Jeff, so much for sharing your story with us today. You're welcome, Julie. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity. I appreciate it. There's a lot more in the full episode, which you can find at the Diversity Pivot Podcast. Julie and I have gotten to know each other over the past few months, and I'm so thankful for our relationship. I highly recommend her podcast. 
Each one has a valuable, informative guest or has her sharing great insights. Check it out. The Diversity Pivot Podcast. Command codes verified. The Peter Parker Principle of Privilege. So glad that this is what she called the episode. If you enjoyed this preview of our conversation, check out the entire episode at the Diversity Pivot Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. You can learn more about Julie and her work at nextpivotpoint.com. And you can check out her TEDx talk on YouTube. All these links will be in the show notes. You can also follow me. I'm on Twitter at SFLA Podcast, and you can follow me everywhere on social media at Jeff T. Aiken. That's Jeff T. as in time that came before me, A-K-I-N. Thanks for listening. Ex Astra Scientia. Hey, guys. It's Miriam Love here, and I want to share something very special with you. Check out my new release, All In, the Spanish remixes, out now on Electrocast Records. And always remember, be love, share love, all love. Available now wherever you listen to music. Electric acid.